There will be no dog bites or snake bites in this world. The children can safely play with their pets. Go outside the city, it says the children will play with the cobras and the little ones will lead the lions and the wild animals. I personally am looking forward to swimming with the otters and the dolphins. I'm gonna wrestle a tiger. I'm gonna know what it's like to snuggle up in the mane of a big old lion. And I'm gonna race a cheetah just to see what I can do. Then he expands the place by taking out a few walls, adding some gates, and then he's got 12 gates. Then he adds a wall of fire around where everybody's living outside the city. Then he opened up the windows of heaven, more natural light, and it says, we looked at it last week, the light will be seven times brighter than it was before. Then he adds a temple, think new furniture. Then, Isaiah chapter 4, if we turn over two chapters from where we're at, listen to what it says. He puts a canopy over everything so that there is shade and protection from the weather. Isaiah chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this is what it says. Then the Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. There will be shelter to give shade from the heat by day and a refuge and protection from the storm and rain. When he gets done, the people who look at what Jesus has done when he comes back, listen how they describe it. It says it will be beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth. If we took the time to read Isaiah chapter 65, it talks about, I made it for rejoicing. And then it describes something. We live in a world today that is marked and characterized by death. This world will be characterized by life. Life, life, and more life. Joy, happiness, and life. But listen to me. It is not just the physical changes that are so impressive, and you will be impressed. It is the people who make a home in a city what it really is. These people are different. These people are called holy. They love each other, and they love their king, and they are wholly devoted to him. They enjoy him. He doesn't just redecorate. You can have the nicest buildings and the best physical things all around you, but what makes it fun to live in is the people that you're with. Zechariah 12 says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Next chapter over, he says it again. He says in verse 1 of chapter 13, listen to what he does to the people. In that day, a fountain will be opened up for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. He pours out the Holy Spirit on these people. They have a new heart, and they're easier to live with now. I want to be with God's people. They are my people. There's something else here. What makes it fun is the one who reigns. What will it be like to be with the Lord? You have this image of Jesus Christ in your mind. Can I add something to it? 
Listen to what somebody says who was with Jesus Christ. In Psalm 16, it says, You will make known to me the path of light. Light In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Who do you think invented joy? Who do you think invented fun? It was Jesus. Do you think that uh, when we get to heaven, we're just going to go to church? And you get this idea, well, I can go to church, and that's okay, but I don't want to do church forever. That sounds really boring. A lot of people have that idea. I've heard that. Now, I, can I point something out to you? The first time you see Jesus Christ as an adult, what's he doing? He's at a party making wine. He's not going to church. And Isaiah chapter 25, 6 says when he comes back and he gets done with all the remodeling, listen to what he's going to do. Isaiah 25, verse 6, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, a refined aged wine. You know what he's saying? In their world, that was good eating. Okay? Now, for me, I personally like burnt spam and baked beans on buttered toast. That's good eating for me. Okay? I don't know what you like, but listen, he's going to have what you like. He's going to have the good stuff. Listen, you see him at the beginning of his ministry. He's throwing a party. He's at a party. What's he going to do? He's going to throw a party. You think Jesus Christ is boring? You got the wrong image of Jesus Christ. We're going to have fun. Now, if you want boring, let me describe to you boring. Hell is boring. What are you going to do when you get to hell? Jesus says that they are going to be bound hand and foot and thrown into outer darkness while there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it says the worm dieth not. You know who the worm is? Well, if you're bound hand and foot and you can't walk or do anything, what are you doing? You're crawling around like a worm. You're the worm, and you're the worm that's not going to die. And so what do you do? I've, you know, the reason I'm going here is because I have heard over and over again in my life people who do not want to listen to the gospel, they say, well, I'm going to go party in hell. I have heard that over and over again. Listen to me. You're not going to party in hell. There's no water in hell, there's no wine in hell, and there's not even a drop of fluid to cool your tongue. So what kind of party do you think it's going to be when you're crawling around in the dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face, you're crawling around crying, weeping, gnashing your teeth, okay, and you bump into somebody who's doing the same thing. Doesn't sound like a party to me, and listen, what do you tell somebody... Where do you tell them to go when you're in hell? Doesn't sound like a party to me. Now listen, why is there so much disagreement over this subject? I told you, disagreement, arguments, fights. Do a lot of people go here? Can I tell you one reason why? Somebody has been there. He knows what Jerusalem is really like. He knows what it's like to be with the king of kings. 
Now, he didn't behave himself, and he got kicked out. He knows what it would do to you, what would happen to you if you knew what this Jerusalem was really like, and he doesn't want you to know. All this confusion, all this, I wonder if this is going to happen, this might happen, okay, listen. He doesn't want you to know how awesome, how wonderful, how great it is to spend eternity in the new Jerusalem with Jesus Christ. It is going to be fantastic. Okay, Isaiah chapter 2. Would you turn there, please? Isaiah chapter 2, and read with me verses 2 through 5. It says, Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the fountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that may we walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, we've divided this into these parts. There's a walk in the light. There's the last days. There's an exalted fountain. That's where we left off last week. When Jesus Christ gets done with all the remodeling and the landscaping, there's going to be a vast, deep plain, and Jerusalem will be exalted, the highest. It's all you're going to see. You're going to look up to it. But now we're going to look at a flowing stream, an invitation, a teaching king, and a peaceful world. The next one is a flowing stream. Would you look at verse 2 when it says, <clears throat> In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of mountains and will be raised above the hills. Now, next and all the nations will stream to it. Every nation will have those who want to go to God's house. The countries on this planet are painted as a river flowing. Notice that they're going to flow upstream towards the elevated city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 31, verse 12, describes this, and listen to what he says saying the same thing that Isaiah says here in verse 2. This is how he says it. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming, it's the same word, streaming to what? Streaming to the goodness of the Lord. The King James Version uses the word flow. The word is nahar, and it means to sparkle, or it's referring to the sheen. If you see a sparkling and the sheen and the glow that comes off it, that's what that word means. It means to flow. It's a sheen of running water. Now, in this time, he's saying that the nations will stream to Jerusalem, this elevated city, and it's then what's going to happen is that there's going to be one true religion. God's religion will triumph over all the other religions that are in the world today. The entire world will acknowledge this, and they will come to Mount Zion to worship the true God and worship Him correctly. Compare this to the Isaiah's time when 
Was anybody worshiping God? No. They were worshiping idols. They weren't doing it right. During Isaiah's time, there were three national holidays in which the Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem. In this day, you won't have to have a requirement. There won't be the old covenant. They will come because they want to come. Now, it doesn't say that every person in the world will come. What it's saying is that every nation will be represented. There will be many who want to come to him. Now, there's something going on here. Back up to Genesis chapter 11. You're seeing a world right now that is what? It's becoming unified. It's unified under one God and one religion. Now, what happened that we are not unified today? Back up to Genesis chapter 11 and tell me what happened. You have Nimrod found in a city, and in that city, he elevated something. What did he elevate? He didn't elevate Jerusalem. He elevated what? A tower. What was that tower devoted to? It was elevated to, not to get to heaven, but it was devoted to heaven and its angelic host. What was it? It was designed to start false religion. This is where men started to worship the creature and develop their own religion, and behind it all, the angelic host, which this thing was devoted to, are demons. Now, God comes down, and he sees this elevated thing. He says, man can do anything now, so what does he do? He scatters them, okay? Now, what are we seeing here? We're seeing Babel reversed. Instead of dispersing them, now what's happening with Jesus Christ as king, instead of having many religions devoted to the wrong gods, now what do you have? You have one God, and the world is now being what? Babel reverse. Now the world is being united. And what unites them? Jesus Christ, worshiping the king. At Jerusalem, man will be united. Jerusalem replaces the city of confusion with a city of peace. In place of man trying to establish his own religion, God alone will be worshipped. Now, I want you, if you hear something in the news, you hear this, uh, think not nationally, but think globally. Do you know what's behind that? What does Satan want, and what does he want throughout history? He almost had it. He wants what? He wants the world back to the Tower of Babel. And so when you hear this, think globally, not nationally. What is behind it? Behind it is Satan's effort. Remember, he is the influence of this world. He wants this world united, but not under Jesus Christ. He wants it united now where he has an influence and control over it. Okay? That's what's going on in the world right now. Now, verse 2. It says, again, it says, all the nations will stream to it. That word nations is the word, I think it's goyim, it's G-O-Y-I-M. The nations there means anybody who is not a Jew. Gentiles. All the Gentiles are going to want to come, and listen to what it says in verse 3. They're going to come, and this is what they're going to say. And many peoples will come. It doesn't say all peoples come, but many will come. And this is what they're going to say. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. They want to come with them. They want to invite. Now listen, think about this. Can you imagine an Arab 
saying this, with a way the Arabs hate this, to Jews today, with this fanatical, insane hatred of the Jews. Can you imagine the day is coming when an Arab, all these Arab nations come, they'll say, hey, let's go worship the king of kings. Let's go to Israel. Let's go to Jerusalem and worship. There's something else here. We have problems today with the nations, and we're told that we have issues. When I was in New Jersey in 1975, I had just graduated from high school, the school that our church at that time was associated with was, was Lynchburg, Liberty, Jerry Falwell. We were connected, and almost the, all the kids in, that I was at church with, that's where they were going when they graduated. They were going to Liberty. So I was talking to the youth director. He says, yeah, I'll hook you up, get your scholarship, and you can head down there. My dad overheard the conversation, comes over, and he says, you're not going to Virginia. I says, I'm not? He says, no, you're going to Texas. What's in Texas? TBI. What's TBI? He says, there's a school down there. The dean of that school is a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Uh, so I headed off, 17, turned 18 down there, and got there. And when I walked out the back door, first time I walked on campus, Walked out the back door, and a senior, I was brand new, senior walked out two doors down. He says, who are you? And I says, I'm Gary. He says, what are you so happy about? He says, I'm a born-again Christian. I says, I'm glad to be alive. I love God. He goes, what is wrong with you? He says, are you a Pentecostal? No, I didn't think I was a Pentecostal. I walked into a world that I had never seen before. I had never experienced this before. This was culture shock to the nth degree for me. I had been raised in the military, I was in athletics, and I was with all kinds of different races. Never thought about it, wasn't an issue. I walked into it and that senior looked at me and he said, we better walk out, look out for all that, and he said a word I had never heard before. I go, what is that? And he goes, it's better, and he's like, really? I didn't know that. I was a dumb young kid, I had no clue. I was sitting there in class in my room, uh, one night, my, my roommate, he says, uh, do you want to go to a debate? I said, the debate? Yeah, he says, the Campbellite College is having a debate. Now, I did not know what a Campbellite was, and some people used to say that term is a disparaging remark. I don't use it in that way. I'm just, that's not what I'm, I didn't even know what a Campbellite was. I says, okay, what's a Campbellite? He says, it's a bunch of African-American people, and they're going to debate us. I says, we are? What are we going to debate? They're going to have three straight debates, three nights of debates, and we're going to catch the last one. What's the topic? The topic is, should we be marrying them? Which side are we on? We're telling them they shouldn't do it. Really? Okay. I didn't have a clue. I walked in. We drove an hour to the, the Dallas College, walked into a very large auditorium the last night of the debates. I'm guessing, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people there the place was absolutely packed. We couldn't find a seat. Maybe 1,000 people, I'm guessing. 1,000 people, and when I walked in, what did I just walk into? My roommate looked at each other, and we go, and I counted five white people in the whole building. And we looked at each other, and I go, uh, we found a seat close to the exit and sat down. We didn't know what to expect. 
Now, you know what they said in that debate? The men who were re representing the college that I went to got up and told them that they were all cursed by God and we should, we should have nothing to do with them. I didn't know we believed that. I did not, that, this is a world I had never been in before. I did not know that. Now, at that stage of my life, I didn't know what I believed. I couldn't tell you everything I believed, but I knew when something was wrong. So I sat there and I go, and the main argument that they used was, they're all cursed by God. Really? They're cursed by God? Yep. Okay. Sat there, and I looked around, and something happened. Before the debate got started, a song leader got up from the college, and they started singing. And something happened that I will never forget. Never in my life. To this day, have I heard music like that? Have you ever heard a thousand people sing with nobody telling them what to do, singing four-part harmony? And then it wasn't just the music. I tried to sing along. It was a song I didn't know, and, but I recognized that this was praise to God. And then I listened to that, and I go, this doesn't sound like cursed to me. This sounds like blessed to me. And then something else. I started looking at their faces. And they weren't mad. If you had told me what they had just heard for the last two nights, I'd have something to say. I'd have an attitude, and then some. I didn't see that. You know, the people who showed me to my seat were very kind and respectful to me. I looked at their faces as they're singing, and they're at peace. They're calm. In fact, they had something I had never seen before. In my very legalistic, we're right and you're all wrong world that I had been raised in, I had never seen this. I thought about switching schools. I wonder, well, I wonder if they let this, black, this white boy into this college. I'm serious. I thought about it. I looked at them and I go, I want what they got. It was awesome. These people were children of God, they were blessed by God, and they were my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I knew it. You know what I did? I got up in the middle of the semester, and I walked out of that college I was going to, and I've never been back. My parents have asked me time to time, don't you regret it? Don't, you could have gone and done something, been a pastor. I go, nope. I have never, ever regretted leaving that world. I want nothing to do with it. You know what I do these days? I bought an exercise bike, and... I drive Maryland crazy, but when I get on that bike, I find that if I watch certain videos that I forget about what I'm doing and I can ride longer. You know what I like to listen to? I turn on YouTube and I listen to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and I listen to it over and over and over again. And you know what they do? They sing the Word of God. All they do is they sing Psalm 34, and I listen to this video over and over and over again. And it says in Psalm 34, it says, Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. Glorify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name together. Glorify the Lord with me. That's what I want. And, you know, I look at that video, and I'm looking at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and the video, it goes, the camera goes around, and you know what I see? 
I see every nation. I see Oriental, I see African American, I see white, I see old, I see young. And I look at the look on their faces. And you know what happens when the song is over? They can't stop. You can hear the crowd just buzzing. They're still raising their hands, a look of joy. You know what? That's what heaven is going to be like. This racial stuff and this national stuff that we struggle with today, listen, you know what? It's the answer to all this is not political. The answer is Jesus Christ. And what's going to unite us is the love and the worship that we have for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. It says that there's going to be an invitation. Look what it says. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. These people are going, they're united, and they're inviting everybody to come with them. I got here as I'm going through this section, and this verse stopped me because something hit me. This is Gentiles inviting other Gentiles to come to a Jewish king. But something really bothered me here. In fact, I had to stop, and I had to be careful here because I had to go talk to God about this one because it bothered me. You remember I said that God is not afraid of hard questions. And when I got to this section, I had a hard question for God. Now, this is not an excuse to be irreverent or rude or in any way. Don't, if you take that wrong, you're completely misunderstanding what I'm saying. But I had a hard question for God. Of all the things that I have seen that Israel was doing, and look at all the things that we've looked at. These things really bothered me. They were sacrificing their kids to false gods, throwing them into the fire and watching those kids be burned. They had a drum out there, boom, 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 to, so you drowned out all the screams of these little babies as they're being roasted alive, as they sacrificed to demons. That bothers me. You look at the city. It's full of paid assassins. You look at the way they're treating the orphans and the widows. They're cruel. It even, I was reading through First and Second Kings this week, and it talks about how the, the, the city was under siege, and two women got together. In order to survive, we're going to have to eat our children. They eat one child, and she goes and hides her children, and they go to the king, hey, I, we need to eat this child. We had an agreement. It's all so cold, so cruel. And I think about that, and I go, that really really bothers me, because I cannot imagine. It is beyond my ability to digest the idea of taking one of my children, and I've got the option. You know what? I can go repent. I can tell God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and God promised that he would heal. I would, you can humble yourself and pray, but no, instead of that, I'm going to eat my child? I, and I, I, start, I try to imagine, oh, I, I didn't want to go there. How do you do that? That bothers me. That's how depraved these people got. But in all of that, when I got to this point, I realized there's something else that bothers me even worse than all of that. The world is dark. The only source of light to see the truth about God is where? Where is it? Listen, if you don't have the truth of God and you don't have the gospel and you don't have the word of God, what happens? You die and you go to hell for all eternity. That's even worse than the stuff I just described. You know a lot of those kids we're going to see in heaven. 
As horrible as that is, a lot of those kids, I'm going to, okay, <clears throat> I wouldn't imagine any kid going through that, but at least I'm going to see them in heaven. These people who never hear the gospel because the Jews are acting the way they're acting, I'm not going to see them in heaven. God? Uh, what's going on here? Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6 says, Now then, if he's talking to Israel, he says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, <clears throat> for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of what? A kingdom of what? Priest. Now, what is a priest? A priest is someone who represents a sinful man before a holy God. There is no priest here. So what was God doing? Was he just sitting back, uninvolved, allowing the world to go to hell while Israel floundered in their sin? Now, I was thinking about this. Now, is that true? The whole purpose of what we're doing here in all of this Isaiah, we said, was what? We're evaluating God, and we're going to come to the conclusion if we find the truth that what? You can only glorify him. You can only come away the conclusion that there's nothing but good to say about God. Boom. Put this in here. How does that fit here? It was a cartoon that Luke was listening to that I got my first answer. As I'm sitting here thinking about it, it was a cartoon. It was a story. You know what it was a story of? Jonah. Think about this. Jonah was sent to who? He was sent to a Gentile nation. A good guess for when Jonah was sent to where? What city? Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of what country? Assyria. What is the nation that came down in 722 B.C. and wiped out, conquered them, killed them, and then spread out the captives throughout all the world? Obliterated them in 722. Who was it? Assyria. Now listen. Back up one generation. <clears throat> one generation before 722 in 763 B.C. That's 40, 41 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. In that, <coughs> in that year, <coughs> something happens. Does anybody know what happened in 763 B.C.? Assyria has two epidemics, and then it has a total solar eclipse. <coughs> Excuse me. On June 15, 763 B.C., there's a total solar eclipse. And what do you think it did to those superstitious people? It prepared them for something. <coughs> right after that, something happens. Jonah shows up. God forces Jonah one generation before they come conquer Israel. What happens? He walks in that city. Jonah didn't want to be there, but God pushed him. And what happens? 600,000 people estimated in that city. What happens? Boom. A lot of people got saved. <clears throat> now, what's interesting about that, what would have happened if Israel had done what they were supposed to do and gone? The last thing I see is Jonah walking away angry that all those people got saved. 
What would have happened if Israel had done what they were supposed to do and gone in and discipled them? One generation, the very next generation does what? Comes down and wipes them out. But God, what did he do? He put the gospel there for that, that nation to accept Jesus Christ and repent before all of that happened. I started thinking about this too. Daniel, after this is all happens and after the nation of Israel is captured and taken away by Assyria and then Babylon, what happens to Nebuchadnezzar? In Daniel chapter 4, what happens to him? God does something to this king and what happens to him? He repents and he says... Praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So before the captivity and after the captivity, what happens? Daniel, if you reach the king for salvation, what happens? You have a great influence. I think this king actually loved Daniel, and I think he led this king to the Lord. The next one, and the ones that comes after this, is Darius. After Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon is taken away, listen to what happened to Darius. Darius wrote this, to all nations. How many people heard the gospel when Darius got saved? Or when he wrote this proclamation? All the nations heard this, that everybody was to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. God did do a work to reach the Gentiles. Even though Israel failed, God did do a work. There are other examples. Nahum. Nahum in 2 Kings 5 also appears to become a believer. Okay? Next one. A teaching king. What is it that's drawing all these people to come to Jerusalem? Look at verse 3. Why are they going? Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And here's the reason why. That he may teach us concerning his ways. <clears throat> Why do they want to go to Jerusalem? Why are they inviting everybody to go? Because like Solomon, they want to hear the wisdom of another Davidic king. This explains why men are flowing to Mount Zion. This world is thirsty. The reason they are going there is because they need to learn from God, and when they learn that, they're going to find something better than what they've got right now. The world today is the same way. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2. He says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. <clears throat> this world, it will be changed. And the world that we're looking at right now, that will not be the case. In the Old Testament dispensation, the gospel was hidden. In this day, all the nations will know the truth of God and his offer of grace. The nations that have sacrificed <clears throat> to other gods and have been scattered throughout the world are going to be united and come to hear the teaching of this Davidic king. Now, Mount Zion will be the center of truth. If you want to know the truth, you will go to Mount Zion and you will find what? The one, when he came, he described himself how, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
and people will be attracted to the one who gives them this truth. Now, if you're having that kind of invitation and you're talking like that, there's only one kind of person that will do that. Christians. These people must be Christians. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, it says that the law will go forth from where? Zion. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Luke 28, 24. Verses 46 and 47, and Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And then what does it say? Beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus finally will implement what Israel was supposed to do. It was supposed to come from Jerusalem. Jesus started it when he came, and he will finish it when he comes back. The day will come when the gospel will go forth, and it will come from Jerusalem. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9. I love this. This is one of my favorite things about the kingdom. They will not hurt or destroy... In all my holy mountain, for the earth will be what? Full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Jesus Christ himself will be the teacher, and this teacher will be out of a job. I'm going to go fishing. After I listen to him teach. No longer will I wrestle with Scripture trying to figure it out. I won't mess with this broken mind that I have. I won't forget half the stuff I've learned. God will teach us himself about himself, and there will be no arguments, there will be no error, there will be no faulty doctrine. It's going to be a whole lot better. Now listen to me. One of the greatest blessings of the kingdom is the availability of the Word of God at a level that we don't have today. Even today, we have it better than any time in history. But it's going to hit a new level, and it's going to be one of the greatest blessings. Do you know what God did to the nation of Israel as a way of punishment? Israel, the northern nation, had a prophet who came down and talked to him. Now, Israel was at that time cocky. They were liars. They were abusive, and they worshipped idols. They were rich, and they thought that God was on their side. But you know what God did to them? He sent them a prophet. You know who that prophet was? Amos. You know what Amos told him? Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. This is one of the greatest punishments that he ever did to that nation. Listen to what he says. Behold, Days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Now, what kind of famine? Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. One of the greatest judgments he gave them was he gave them a famine. They will not be able to hear the word of God again. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 5, something happens in chapter 5. 
verses 24 through 25. When I was going through this, the first two visions, when you get to this section of Scripture, he has done listing all the things that he had against, all the sins. They've done this, they've done that, they've done this, they've done that. He lists, over and over again, he lists what they've done. This is the last one that he lists. In verses 24 and 25, listen to what he says. Halfway through verse 24, he says this, For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account, this is why the anger of the Lord has burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. Why? Because they rejected God's word. I got to that point, I realized he's at the end of the list, and I... I thought two things. One, I think that we just got to the worst sin of all of them. And second, that just kind of summarizes everything that's happened before. When you reject the word of God, that's when all this other sin comes in. You have no ability. If you don't have the word of God in your life, you don't have the ability to stop sinning. That was their sin. They rejected God's Word, the Word of the Holy One. Now, if you think that church is boring and that we're going to go to heaven and have church all the time, and you think church is just hearing guys get up and preach and talk all the time, listen, I, I want to be really, this is, this is important. A genuine believer... The real deal, if you're the real thing, you love the Word of God. Fact. If you're a genuine believer and you want to do it right, the Word of God is very important in your life. Psalm 119. Read through it. Every verse is talking about the Word of God. And you know what it says over and over and over again? I love your commandments. I love your law. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Turn to Psalm 19. Turn to Psalm 19. I want to show you something. Psalm 19 Halfway through is about the revelation of God. Psalm 19. I want to show you, if you you have the Word of God in your life, I want to show you what it does. Look at verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. Go through this real quick. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. You know what that word perfect means? It means it's enough. It's sufficient. It's complete. Christian, what do you need? Uh, I'm going to go here for a second. I want to be careful here, but I want this is important. I have met Christian after Christian friend who tells me that they're, they have stress in their life, they're bothered, and they've gone to the doctor and they've got something to help them. They're taking stuff. Or I hear, well, I need to go see a counselor. Okay, and I'll stop a second. Am I against medication? Am I against counseling? That is not what I'm saying, but I got a question for you. I have a question for you. 
when something bothers you and you're depressed or you have a problem, something serious is going on in your life and you got, you're stressed out. Before you went to that doctor, I want to ask you something. How much time did you spend in God's Word, studying it and praying and waiting on God and applying God's Word? And did you do that before you went? The Bible makes a claim here that's very important. The Bible says it's perfect. It's enough. It's what you need. More important than all the other stuff. Then, look what it says. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the, what's the word? Simple. Do you know what the word simple means in the Hebrew? The word simple means the Hebrew has the idea of an open door. It's talking about a person is like an open door. You know what that means? He has no screen, he has no door, and anything that the Satan uses, the media or whatever, or somebody talking to you, and all the lies, he has no ability to keep it out. He just absorbs it. He's like a sponge. He's an open door. He takes it all in. What is it that keeps you from being simple and vulnerable and dumb? It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God that makes you what? Wise. Instead of being an open door, you're wise. You know what wisdom is? It is the truth of God's word that gives you the ability to think and do, and it gives you the ability to succeed. Succeed at what? To succeed in living the godly life. It takes the word of God to take a simple open door and turn you into a wise person. It is the word of God that does that. It says, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. What does it say? Rejoicing the heart. Divine principles and precepts give the Christian joy and the ability to overcome sadness and depression. True joy comes to the Christian by applying the Bible in his life. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You ever not know what's going on in this dark world? This world is dark. Proverbs 6 says that thy commandment is a lamp and teaching is light. The Bible shows you the way. And it gives you, you don't understand what's going on in this world? Read the Bible. It's there. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. I like this one. You want to know who God is? Listen, if you got to know who God is, there would be a natural, listen, a natural healthy reaction, and that is fear. That's where you start. It's not where you finish, but that's where you start. You read the Word of God, and you're going to fear and tremble knowing who this Bible is talking about. One more. They are more desirable than gold, yes, much more than fine gold, sweeter also, sweeter also than honey and the dippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. The word of God is to be desired more than gold. It tastes better than honey. Let me finish with this. I'm going to go somewhere next week. I'm out of time right now. I'm going to show you how corrupt this world is really getting. It's getting worse and worse. 
the reason that it is getting worse and worse, and it's going to get bad, is because the church has become irrelevant. The more that the church becomes irrelevant, the less and less the Word of God becomes important in your lives and in the lives of this world. The more and the further we get away from God's Word, the worse and worse the world's going to go. Do you want to solve the problems of this world? Let me help you out. Politicians are not going to solve our problems. What's going to solve our problems is getting back to God's Word and elevating it and reading it and studying it and applying it in our lives and living by the principles that God has given us in this Word. It is more desirable than anything else. It's what we need most. Christian, you need to study the Word of God regularly, faithfully, meditate on it, apply it. It's what you need. And I didn't say, and the Bible doesn't say, the Word of God in something else. It says the Word of God is enough. It's all you need. It's the most important thing in your life. You want the Holy Spirit on your life? The Holy Spirit, in order to work, needs the Word of God to do its work. It needs the Word of God in your life. Now, 58 seconds left. Any questions? The day is coming when Jesus Christ himself will teach us and it's going to be good. And guys, it's not going to be boring. At times, you struggle with guys like me get up here and oh, I wish you were even getting not going to be like with Jesus Christ. It's going to be the good stuff. I can't wait. And I'm going to be first in line to go to 